Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? I'm exhausted. How are you? Well, you t- tell everybody why you're exhausted. <laughs> that was the funniest thing. Uh, we we live near a jazz club, right? Yeah, and and uh, called Vibrato, and um, so uh, Connie and I. We're, we're having dinner around the corner, and I ran into a friend of mine who was actually the bouncer. And I'm like, what are, what are you doing? Because usually jazz clubs don't have bouncers. And he told me, well, Seth MacFarlane. Hey, they they it, don't want to keep anybody out right, right. Jazz club. Like, Come in, please. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane was playing with his big band, a 16-piece uh, you know, jazz band. And I said, like, oh, yeah, I've heard he's an amazing singer, but he's not known as a singer, right? No, he's known as the creator of television shows and an actor. I mean, he, you know, he's so, a, a family guy, right? Family guy. He also uh, is the voice of, and I believe he wrote Ted. Yes, he did. The, yeah. the, um, I think they made two or three of them. Right. About the teddy bear that comes to life. In fact, he was, he was up for an Oscar, I heard today, may have heard it from you. For uh, for writing a song for Ted. Oh, I didn't. I actually yeah, didn't yeah. know that. How about that? Yeah. But yeah, he he, he was a uh, he's a great he's a great. And he dated the Dragon Queen. He did. He he dated uh, Amelia uh, Clark, uh, better known uh, uh, or best known as uh, as Daenerys Targaryen. So anyway, so I'm, I so I said, oh, I can't get in there. I don't have an invitation. So we go and we eat right around the corner, and then we're walking back, and our friends, uh, Greg Evigan. Mm-hmm. And his son, Jason, they, they were... Who has uh, written every hit for yeah, the last 10 yeah, years, yeah, and nobody knows yeah, it. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, anyway, there, he, they, uh, he was walking uh, down, down the street as, as we were going home, and he goes, Hey, you should come in. Uh, I sold Seth MacFarlane a guitar once at Guitar Center. I said, what? <laughs> so yeah, come on in. So we, we went in there, and I had a T-shirt on, and my hat was on backwards, you know, and I'd been to the gym, and, and everybody and this, else. This club, so you, this is what, Jack Nicholson and Tito Fuente own it, is that right? It's close enough. I think I, I do know that uh, uh, Herb Albert. Herb, Herb Albert Herb, and, and Jack Nicholson and, and, and his And his daughter, uh, um, what is his daughter? Eden. His daughter, Eden, uh, manages it, and I think Nicholson's also involved. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's, it's the only real jazz, well. I shouldn't say that. It's, it's, a, a, it's a high-end jazz yeah, club. It's yeah, it's a really nice high-end jazz club. Everybody and, in their black dresses, and, right. and, and here I am. Just to go to the bar, you, you have to have a right. jacket on yeah, yeah, normally. Right. So, so uh, he, he goes, uh, Jason uh, and his dad go, hey, sit down. So we sit down. He, we're, we're like right in the middle of this thing, and all of a sudden, I look at the band, and like three of the guys have played on my, on my, on my record, so I'm like waving them. Yeah. And I go, what are you doing with that, <laughs> with that hat on? You're like, this is not a baseball game, you know? <laughs> and so we sit down, and then, uh, uh, and then McFarland, starts singing and i mean i'm telling you it's at it's at sinatra you knew this already but it's it's at sinatra and buble level i mean yeah. he's what a voice his show but he's an actor right he, well I mean, yeah but his shows he always you know he he wrote uh created family guy created american dad uh the the orville uh which is a star it's basically right. a tv ver- a tv series version of one of our favorite movies galaxy S- quest oh okay um it's a you know comedy star trek Right. Um, and by the way, we're going to get to it. Uh, tell people what the interview oh, is. Oh, yeah. Today, yeah. Uh, Esther Wojcicki, w- Esther Waj, as she's known, uh, she is a teacher, a 30-year teacher at, at Palo, Alto High, Palo Alto High School, created their media arts, their award-winning media arts department. She has been uh, a teacher to Steve Jobs' kids, all of the Silicon wow. Valley uh, top people, uh, as well as she's a mother in her own right, and her Three kids yeah, how about are the these kids? CEO of YouTube, right? three daughters, CEO of YouTube, CEO of 23andMe, and uh, a professor at UCSF. So she has a book on parenting called How to Raise Successful People, and she clearly has the bona fides to prove it. Uh, and so we're going to talk about what's called her trick method, which is trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness. 
And I mean, if anybody has an experience, oh. has experience in dealing with high performing children, it's this woman. So it's an interview not to be missed. So whether yeah. you're whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an auntie or uncle, you'll be able to use these tips for uh, raising kids that can take care of you for the rest of your life. Yeah, great, That's the way I think. Way to tease in the middle of the bigger story. So we're back back to the Seth MacFarlane thing. So the guy, he writes all of these amazing songs for his shows. Right, right. He is, um, all of his like uh, family guy has plus, these Plus he looks mu- like he's been transported from the 50s because he looks like a Rat Pack guy. Right. Well, be, I think he's going for that. Oh, know, yeah, anybody yeah, can yeah, look yeah, like yeah. a Rat Pack guy if they wear a narrow lapel suit and uh-huh, they, you know, uh-huh. cut their hair the right way. But he... Um, he, you know, he, he's all, he always has big band tunes in his, in his shows, <laughs> like big musical numbers. In fact, whole musical episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he writes all the music for it, and he voices a lot of it, so he's got a lot of vocal control. And I just, I, I like his story. I've heard mixed things about how he, like, some people like him, some people don't. Some people love him, think he's, like, the sweetest guy. Right, right. Um, but, uh, but what I love about his story is that he, they, Fox canceled his show. It got really popular on the internet, and they had to bring him back. Uh, when I was in college, file swapping was a big thing. You remember file swapping? Sure, yeah. You put stuff on your on your computer, log into the Ethernet right, for the college, right. and you'd swap, you know, right. uh, movies, television episodes, right. and and music. Well, Family Guy got this huge boost from kids in college file swapping, and then they released the DVDs, and then Fox had to come back and give them a hundred million dollar development deal to come back and make an animation block on Sunday night. Yeah. So I, I love that. I love that he got. He finally got you know, got his due for how genius he is. Yeah, so I'm sitting there, right? And and all of a sudden, you know, he's playing these songs. I mean, I, I'm just in heaven because it's just washing, right. you know, like, I mean, you know, four trumpets, six mm-hmm. saxophones. I mean, it was just the best players you've ever seen. You know? By the way, that stage is crowded with oh, uh, a drummer, oh, a piano player, oh, a bassist. It, it's like may, maybe twice the size. The whole club is twice the size of our living room. Right. But, but you, and so you're in it. You're actually sitting in the band, yeah, basically, yeah. you know. So, and here I am, you know, everybody else. And uh, John, who's had a baseball game. And uh, and he goes, he's he's trying to he, he's trying to start a song he's trying to find his notes he goes uh, uh, again amazing voice but he's trying to hit this note and he goes he just goes he looks over at me he goes John Tesh can you hit this note and I'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> so now now because I was I was exhausted yeah right and all of all it's already nine thirty I think I could sneak yeah. out after about four songs yeah. nope yeah nope and it just he, it kept going you know and so pe- people are shouting uh, shouting songs at him or something and. So he did. He did a uh, he did a TV version. I mean, a song of the TV show, really uh, uh, absurd show called "My Mother the Car." I, yeah, I, I, I don't, don't even think you. I, I, don't you know, I, I couldn't. Yeah. So he does that. And he's talking about themes. He goes, John Tesh. I'm like Ed McMahon all of a sudden. He goes, yeah. John, did you? And I'm just trying to hide under the table at this point. The just great, enjoy car, the great Karnak is up <laughs> oh next. Oh my so gosh. Uh, he goes, uh, uh, did you, uh, well, here, yeah. Oh, uh, hey, band, do you know the Entertainment Tonight theme? And so the piano player. He whistles it, and the piano player plays the theme. He goes, John Tesh wrote that song. My mom told me. And I said, uh, did you write that song, John? I said, no. And he goes, oh, I got this totally wrong? Oh, God, my mom is such a liar. And he goes <laughs> through this whole thing. And then, and then he goes, uh, people are shouting out songs for him to play, and somebody shouts out Sway, mm-hmm. right? You know? Which you, uh, it's on your big band record. Yeah, you yeah. play it live. Mucho Mambo, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and we had just finished doing, you and I, and, and, and Connie mm-hmm. had just finished doing a, a PBS special where we featured that song. And so he goes, Johnson, <laughs> he just continues, right? I'm sure people are just sick of, of my name at this point. He goes, he goes, John Tesh, do you know Sway? And I just sort of, I'm just waving, you know, waving my hands at him like, oh, no, 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 you know, you know, you know. And yeah. so, and then Connie goes, yeah, he knows Sway. He knows Sway. 
Like, all I can all I can think of is all these people who have come to see him, and he's going to drag me up there right. in and a I'm baseball gonna, cap, right? And I'm going to play piano and sing in front of uh, arguably one of the best jazz singers I've heard in, in recent memory. That would be Seth, and also the piano player who's like ridiculous, you know. And it, and and it would just completely. And I said, "Don't!" I yelled out, "Don't ruin your show <laughs> <laughs> by talking to me." I know, yeah. That so, is the most LA story oh I have ever heard gosh. in my life. But what a, I mean, and, and the other thing is he didn't just phone it in. I mean, I, when, when I'm singing, when I'm singing uh, a big band tune, I'm phoning it in. I'm, I mean, I, I am, I, my range isn't great and I'm singing, you know, Sway and Beyond the Sea and uh, It Better Be Tonight, all the songs that you've heard Buble and all those guys do. He, he was singing Old Man River and really obscure. He was, he was basically showing you what he could do. So Gershwin tunes and all Nelson Riddle arrangements who, you, who did all the arrangements for, for Sinatra. So anyway, I can't say enough. Really nice guy. I can't say enough about his talent, though. Yeah. I mean, that was, it's just like, what? Stop doing everything and just do this for the rest of your life. I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, well, I think when uh, Fox backs up the Brinks truck to your house and asks you to create shows for them, yeah. you have to keep doing yeah, it. But yeah, but it, yeah. it's clearly something he's very passionate yeah. about. And, and, uh, it, it, and I'm such an idiot, right? I, I walk into work today and I said to Gib, Gib, you know Seth MacFarlane, right? He goes, Yes, you idiot. <laughs> of course, I do. <laughs> I, a huge, huge fan. Huge. Uh, yeah. So this is actually this is you know this is a, a segue for what you're going to talk about because I think that his parents raised a successful child. Yes, they know? did. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. And I think he's got the right amount of crazy too to 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 be able to do right. the stuff that he does. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, let's get uh, set up this podcast because this is the important part of it. You, oh. you, you've you've heard me do my Walter Mitty imitation here. <laughs> so uh, I guess we're not, we're, do you want to do? Oh yeah, pieces? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I want to do this piece. Uh, you know, we were talking about a couple of pieces, but can we do the thing on body language? Because I, I found this really interesting. Um, there's a guy that we have on the show. You and I both know. As uh, he's an FBI counterintelligence officer, yes. uh, and he's a body language expert. So you know, it, it, counterintelligence, right? That's what you're gonna you, you're gonna you're look you're looking. Uh, you're looking at people just to see how they're walking and how right. they're behaving, so you so you can you can figure he- out it's the people that find the spies, right? Right. Counterintelligence right. finds and blocks spies, right? So here, but so he also, yeah. So he, he, now he has advice on how to use your body language to be more successful and professional uh, socially as well. Uh, it, and the first thing is the eyebrow flash. Now listen to this: when you see somebody, he says, try smiling. And raising both eyebrows at the same time, be intentional about that, as if you're saying, hey, good to see you. So that's a facial expression, Joe says, that mothers use with their babies. You've seen this. So we learn to respond to it from an early age, and it makes people feel comfortable. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you say the mother-baby thing, that's what really locks it in, that the big eyes that make you seem less threatening and more likable. It also makes me think, now, now The Rock, huge fan of The Rock. Uh, oh, he has that thing. Go ahead. Not a great actor, but literally the most successful actor in the world right now right. because of his personality. But I'm wondering if he bonded with his audience by doing the people's eyebrow when he was a wrestler. That was like his right. one of his signature right. moves. Right, right. You was got, raising you, 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 his eyebrow. Yeah, exactly. And I'm wondering if I wonder if people were like, "Oh, that guy seems nice," right, right. even though he was uh, right. he was the heel. But like you know, right. the, having that eyebrow raise thing might have ingratiated him with everybody and made him the superstar he is today. Right, and, I think and, I've just solved it. We're all going to raise our eyebrows and make $100 million of film. All right, there's more to come, but you, you should know that uh, Gibbs' brain is always cued for making a uh, rock reference. No question. That. And there we go. Congratulations. He's an inspiration. Congratulations. Another body language power move from the FBI guy, stand off center. So he says, yeah. when, when, this is especially with, with, uh, in your relationships, right? So standing directly in front of somebody makes them just as uncomfortable as standing too close because it blocks their escape route. Right. So Navarro, our FBI agent, says... Uh, the research tells him that when people stand toe to toe, 
conversations don't last as long. So take a half step to one side. I do this all the time. I was doing it last night uh, when I was talking to some uh, to, to Greg, my uh, my friend. You, you you open that up, and so you're not like you know we got to we got to expand this LA story by the way because in addition like we were sitting with the Evigans who'd done a show with your wife like, right all of I it know, like crazy. all of it really well, and Greg was on my two dads yeah my two dads and BJ and the Bear and right. then P.S. I love you right. when when you met Connie so like all of that inter interweaves together it's in so a crazy, crazy way and the guy that wrote Girls Like You is his son and he's sitting there right next to him right. Right, and yeah. then the and then the, the bouncer is a guy that used to to work for us uh, at uh, Intelligence for Your Life. Crazy. I mean, anyway, it, it, yeah, so, ahead. Back, so yeah. back to the square enough. You were so doing standing it with Greg. off center, yeah, uh, yeah. So any, anyway, uh, that's what he says. It's just stand off center, so right. you're not threatening. You know, it's, what all of this is really underscoring is the fact that while we have put all of this extra stuff in our lives, we have built engines and cars and airplanes and houses, and we are able to do all of these things in modern society. We we ha- we are civilized. In the end, we have these lizard brains inside of our bigger brain right. that respond to threat the way that uh, an animal does. I mean, we, we, you know, you, you're standing directly in front of me. I have this, like, the little part of my lizard brain starts firing saying, oh, my gosh, this is a threat. This is a threat. They're squared off against you. Right, right. And there's nothing we can do to overcompensate for that. So this, I like this because it's helping us trick the most basic functional part of our brain that, like, the part where we deviated from the lizard that part is what is what we're cueing here, and I think using that to manipulate people is fantastic. Yeah, and you've interviewed many people who talk about how you know you're, you're saying more with your body and your face than you are with your right. with your language right. or, or what you know, what you're saying. Oh yeah, and, and it's one of the big downsides to texting, right? We spend all yes. this time texting, and we lose yeah. all of these yeah. other cues that that we have been programmed over thousands of years to respond to, and we don't have them at all. Not even vocal inflection, which is just like. Honestly, FaceTiming and Skyping is the best thing we yeah. could be doing yeah. in terms of, of maintaining digital communication. Yeah, and that's what a lot a lot of uh, uh, interviewers, uh, HR people, are doing now. Is they instead of even instead of even just looking at a, at a you know at a resume, um, they they they're they're Skyping with people so they right. can see. Yeah, uh, and then and they're trying to spot their apartment too, saying this is messy. You know. Yeah. That, well, but, that's why I like Marco Polo because Marco Polo is like visual email. You, right. You, yes. you, you, yeah. Or visual text messaging. You're you're talking to a person. Uh, and sending a message, but it's a video message. Anyway, so keep the, going with these. Yeah, with these our things. FBI, just a couple more. FBI agent says that you should also stand with your weight equally balanced on, on both feet because he says people who are uncomfortable, uh, they, st- they tend to stand with more weight on one foot than the other. Right, right. But if, if you stand with equal weight distribution, it makes you look like a confident leader. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah. you know, think, we, we've talked about this before on, on all the shows, the Superman pose. Arms akimbo, right. arms in your hips. Yes. Yeah. Feet yeah. shoulder width apart yeah. and squared. Yeah. Like that. That actually. That actually does something to your own lizard brain. It makes you feel more confident yes. and increases testosterone. Yeah. So you're yeah. going to be you're going to be in a better position mentally if you're doing that. And it also sends a message that you're a confident and strong person. It's 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 you know it's the Superman pose uh, works because we already have a reaction to it. Yeah, and you know I I I, I uh, ha- having get gotten over my uh, my stage fright years ago i really do enjoy speaking in, in public and so do you you're, you're mm-hmm. a comedian uh but it's uh i've studied a lot of these guys so have you and and it's especially uh, uh pastors and motivational speakers uh, th- there's another power move that um that, that speaks to this according to our fbi agent is gesture with your hands reaching out right so palms up right right so when when we're intimidated we tend to pull our hands close to our body but reaching out, it takes up space and it shows that you're at ease. It also shows you don't have any weapons in your hands. Yeah, I mean, that's where handshakes come from, you right. know, is, yeah. is showing that you don't have a dagger in your hands. It's, all of this, again, just really, really resonates with the parts of our brains that are that, that, 
don't belong to us really. They don't belong to our conscious mind. And so these are ways of hacking them. And, and you make a great point about the public speaking. If you watch great comedians, sometimes they will turn their body aside when they're saying something kind of aggressive. You know, they're kind of turn their body away in order to try to make themselves seem less intimidating so people are more likely to laugh. And then if they're going to say something, usually like with a punchline, they'll turn right to the audience and square oh, off. That's so like a lot of these things you'll see in the body language that comedians naturally learn over time to get that visceral reaction from the audience uh, are using some of these tricks. Yeah, and watch it. If you, if we can do it now. Watch, uh, get a YouTube video of uh, Jerry Seinfeld and also oh, old, yeah. old uh, TV shows uh, of the David Letterman show and watch how they, when they introduce them, watch how they come out on stage. I mean, it is ju- it's like they're shot out of a gun. Right. And they walk with purpose and they find that spot. They stand right on yeah. there. So you're like, this. so as an audience member, as a viewer, you're like, this is going to be great. Yeah, because they want to start talking as soon as the applause starts to die down. They don't want to be walking oh, to I didn't, the spot. I didn't even think right about that. That's good. Because you got, you know, you got to keep that energy up. If you got yeah. energy coming out of the gun, boom, you got to right. hit it. Right, right. We've right. talked a long time. We have. I'm sorry. Let's go. No, no. We should go to the, th- these are great tips. So let's just re- recap real fast. You want to, you want to uh, use the eyebrow flash. Stand slightly off center. Stand with your weight equally balanced on both feet and gesture with your hands reaching outward. And that will make you more likable and, and more successful, which would make you then therefore more successful professionally. Did you say the eyebrow flash too? I did, did say oh, the eyebrow, oh, good, the good, people's good, good. eyebrow. Yeah, okay. uh, but now let's get to the interview. This is uh, Esther, Esther Waj, and, uh, uh, author of the book, How to Raise Successful People. Uh, really great primer, not just for parenting, for anybody that wants to try to, uh, to deal with interpersonal relationships, but, and, but also uh, particularly with parents. Esther Wojcicki, thank you so much for being... Did, did I pronounce that name correctly, by the way? I know everybody calls you Waj. That's right. Esther Wojcicki is right, and everybody does call me Waj. <laughs> you have... <How's> that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I hopefully, hopefully you can, I can call you Waj because I, I don't know that for the whole interview I'll be able to, uh, to get it right every time. You have been a teacher for a very long time, three and a half decades. You have taught at one of the most successful schools in the, the country. It's got the, the biggest media arts department in the country. Uh, you have had legends of Silicon Valley come through your school. Uh, and you have raised, I'm sure probably this is your favorite thing, you've raised three very successful daughters, and your new book is How to Raise Successful People. So uh, I'm looking forward to you teaching me how to make my children take care of me later in life. (laughs) Yes, well, I hope this is going to work, but I think (laughs) it will. Uh, so you have some, uh, you have a re- uh, a very specific method that you call trick. But before we get to that, I think it's important for us to define what we mean by success. So when you, you know your book's title is again how to raise successful people, and by almost every measure, I would say that your children are successful. But what? How do you define success for raising successful people? I think you're happy with yourself in life. You have control, a lot of control over you, or at least you feel like you have a lot of control over your life. But the most important thing is that you have satisfying and successful relationships with people, both at work and at home, and um, just friends. I think it's really important. Being part of a community, contributing to a community, and having a family community. You know, that's that's really interesting because I've interviewed a lot of uh, a lot of happiness experts, psychologists, and 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 life coaches and stuff. And um, they've they keep reiterating this idea that social connection is found fundamental and healthy relationships are fundamental to any consideration of happiness or success. And why 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 is that why is that so pervasive? Why can't we be loners just sitting on piles of money and be happy? 
Well, I'm really happy to hear that they agree with me because I haven't <laughs> checked it out. <laughs> but I think because we are all social animals, we're, that's the way we're built. We are social and we work in, we're like working packs and teams. And so if you're by yourself, you, it runs against your basic human nature. And that's why loneliness, people can actually die of loneliness. Is that right? Oh, yeah. There's statistics showing that one of the number one causes of death for old people is you're lonely. Wow. And so, yeah, we need to be, we need to be social. And if you look in the blue, at the blue zones around mm-hmm. the world, blue mm-hmm. zones of people that live the longest, right. uh, they all have a sense of community and a sense of belonging. And old people aren't, I mean, it's in Japan, for example, they're not sort of in a in an old folks home. They're part of the family or they're right. part of the community where they feel like they belong. And uh, so I think we need to rethink that. I mean, it's really important for everybody to be feel a sense of community. So it's, uh, what I'm hearing you say is that 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 sense of satisfaction in all of our interactions and in our in our general community, so both a personal friendship community, um, an extended work community, and uh, and, and in a family community, that's that's kind of where success, that's that's kind of where your definition of success rests, right? Yes, I mean you also want to have, you know, a sufficient money to buy a house and or to at least have a place to live have food to eat and have clothing to wear and transportation. So, I mean, I think having such big house or so much money doesn't lead to a lot more happiness. In fact, I've seen an inverse correlation between too much money and a lot of unhappiness. Yeah. I've seen it said recently that there is a, um, the, the money can't buy happiness, but there's but there is that threshold of uh, like a minimum income after which the the increased earning has no correlation with increased happiness. I think, in I think fact, it's, go ahead. it's inverse. In fact, it creates problems with happiness. People become unhappy. So it's because they think that they are owed a lot of things. Mm. Then they don't get those things or. They find that people want to be friends with them only because they have a lot of money. Mm. So then it's hard for them to form relationships based on them themselves as opposed to them and their money. So that that inherently that that interferes with that sort of inherent definition of success that you gave earlier, where uh, where where relationships are really the the foundation. But I feel like there's you're also saying that there is a minimum amount of money required for you to just a certain level of comfort. Once you get past a certain comfort level, it becomes diminishing. That's right. That's correct. So now your system is called trick, (laughs) which, uh, which you've called the antithesis of helicopter parenting. Right. Uh, which I imagine being in the successful community where you teach, uh, you've run into more than a few helicopter parents. Oh, quite a few. And, yeah. and and I'm, I'm assuming that you have learned that they are probably that those children are not the most prepared for adult life. So that was that a big uh, was that a big litmus for you to write this book? Well, my not goal... to call out any parents in particular that might be listening to this right now. <laughs> right. No, my goal is to help the ch- students, the children of these parents, be as successful as possible, mm-hmm. and to counteract some of the helicopter parenting techniques that created problems for them later on. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you always need your parent 
to help you do something, mm-hmm. then you're dependent. And when you're dependent, you don't feel so good about yourself. Right. So my goal is to make them independent and make them feel like they can control their lives and control their environment and do what they care about in life. And, so that's and, my goal as a teacher. And and as a parent, apparently, because your, your children have uh, soared under those definitions. I mean, uh, CEO of YouTube, CEO of 23andMe, which full disclosure, I have done my 23andMe uh, process, and then and your other uh, your your other daughter is a professor at, at UCSF. That's correct. That is absolutely correct. Yes. So they are doing what they care about in life, and that's what matters to them. And I'm happy, you know, if they, Susan, her original major was French and English history and lit, and mm-hmm. if she wanted to be a professor of history, I would be very happy with that. I mean, whatever she wanted to do in life is what I'm happy with, because it's her life. Right. And I'm just there to help support her in whatever she chooses to do. And that and 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 you have and they have done some amazing things. I mean, I by any like I said, by any definition. So your your method is called TRIC. Take us through the, the TRIC method. So TRIC stands for trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness. And this is what I say belongs in every classroom. The culture of the classroom is what contributes to the learning. And the culture of the home also contributes to learning. And also the culture of the business world also contributes to productivity. Mm -hmm. So trick belongs in all parts of life. It also belongs in your marriage. Trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness in your marriage. You always want to trust and respect your spouse. Mm -hmm. And And unfortunately what happens is a lot of people lo- lose respect, and they have to remember, they have to think back to, ooh, I remember why I married that person. Right. And just re reimagine it and then go forward. I feel like, I mean, so just not to back into this, but you have said in this, in our discussion just now, you've said that success is defined by these healthy relationships in all, in all of these different areas of life, and you've just taken your trick method uh and into all three of the main areas of your life like your family life your friend relationships and your work life of having of having trick be used in all of them so um nicely done first of all take me through (laughs) take me through trust and as you know what is what does trust look like for a parent of a of a child like how do you how do you demonstrate trust to your kid because obviously you're not worried about them cheating like you would be with a spouse so that that's not what trust means so what does trust mean with a child so trust with the child means that, for example, small children, you give them little things around the house that they can do and help with. So, for example, maybe they want to learn how to make a dessert, and uh, you can trust them with making the dessert for the dinner. Mm. That could be even done with a four-year-old, or you know, you can work together with a three-year-old, and they can you, you can pick something really simple for them to do. There, mm-hmm. There's so many simple things that kids can make these days. I mean, there's cake mixes. What do you do? You literally open the box and pour it in a bowl and then mix and add water. Um, You can imagine the incredible sense of competence this child feels if they have made something that then the family is going to say, oh, that was dessert. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of things around the house that, you know, you can ask your child to do. And 
so they want to be a collaborator with you. This is collaborative parenting mm-hmm. as opposed to you being in charge all the time and then you um, taking responsibility for their happiness. They need to take some responsibility for their own happiness, which means that they have to do some things on their own. You can't do everything for them, which is what's happening today. Right. People are doing everything for their kids. Right. Well, because I think part of the issue is like we, we you, you talk about trusting them and you're using basic tasks to begin with. But then we think, well, what if they mess that up? Well, how bad is that? Right. Next time around, they'll learn how to do it. Right. So you have to just give them an opportunity to do some of these things that you might that they might mess up. Right. I mean, the idea you don't want to have pristine white couches and a white carpet <laughs> with small children. <laughs> that's a, that's a lesson you learn pretty quickly. But yes, that's right. Try brown. That works. <laughs> <laughs> You've just explained the entire color palette of the seventies. Um, so okay, so so if we, and I, I like this too because if we trust if we trust our children with small tasks early on where the stakes are low. And like you're saying, if they're, if they're using cake mix at four years old and they are a part of that and they, they'll get a lot of joy, a lot of pride out of that process, but also they will learn to make mistakes correct and do better next time with the low stakes tasks so that when they are older, I would assume that they would be more trustworthy of larger tasks as a result. That's exactly right. So it starts in little steps. It's just a little bit of trusting here, a little bit of trusting there in the home. And then the teacher needs to continue that in the classroom. There needs mm-hmm. to be more trust in the classroom because what you want your child to do and what the teacher should want the student to do is to be as independent as possible. Right. To be able to navigate situations on their own without getting upset and stressed about it. You know, that's why it's not a great idea to come in as a parent, if your two children are fighting with each other, perhaps what you could do is pull them aside and say, we want you to talk to each other and see if you can work this out. Right. Because you're setting up a model for them. It's a model of how to resolve conflict. Right. Because every day there's conflict. Right. So you're, I, mean, I, I remember reading not too long ago, like... Uh, a pamphlet for what kids should be able to do by the time they go to kindergarten. It was from, you know, the sixties and it was, I I was looking through that and I was thinking, man, there is a 0% chance that I would let a a six year old do that nowadays. And it was like, (laughs) it was like going to the corner store and getting, you know, getting things on a shopping list by yourself, walking like three city blocks by themselves, able to do all And I was thinking like, there's, you'd get, you child protective services would come get you if you, if you had your kid doing that stuff. You would be arrested. Yes, right. that's correct. But that's because everybody is afraid today. They're all afraid because of social media. All the stories come out like immediately about mm-hmm. like some kid in some far part of the world, something bad happened to them. And now you're deciding that, oh my God, couldn't happen here. So right. I have to be a protective parent and make sure it doesn't happen here. And so that's what's going on. We're all getting frantic over nothing. And you feel like that's eroded our trust of our children or at least even the situations that our children can put themselves in. That's right. You know, when my children were going to school, all the kids walked to school by themselves, walked. Right. right. Okay. Now I see the same school and I see parents driving up to that path that leads to the school, getting out of the car and walking the child into the classroom. Mm. It's the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The culture has changed. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. We're all afraid of, um, of what, of something actually that doesn't really exist. We're all afraid of making mistakes. We're all afraid. Actually, I think it's, um, Steven Pinker that has a book Mm -hmm. that talks about this. And, uh, I think what it comes down to is that we're really human beings in general are b- really bad judges of risk, right? Like we 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 evaluate things really poorly. So you see, you you made a point earlier about sensational journalism and and these um, and and things that we're afraid of happening to our kids. But the statistical likelihood of your child being, in, and not to say that it doesn't happen and that there aren't people for whom it is a very real part of their lives, uh, but the statistical likelihood of having somebody you've never met before and don't know, take your child is so astronomically low. Uh, but yet we behave as though it's a reality at any given moment. That's correct. I mean, I think we are really fearful um, that we're, our child's going to be kidnapped. But if you look at statistics, you see that the majority of kidnappers are people that are close to your family. Right. Either Or even in your family. Right, right. And so... I think we don't have to be as worried as we are. Right. Although, you know, I, there's nothing I can do to change this attitude. And I think there's probably nothing you can do. <laughs> we, have to, we have to work around it because some states even have passed laws saying that it's against the law to, you know, let your child literally walk a two, two blocks by themselves in the crazy, city. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Right. Uh, and 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 I think you know I think I think we, we what you're saying what I've heard you say is in order to breed that trust in your kids and get the benefits of it, do the small stake stuff that you have control over and let and let the kids fail and do stuff there, uh, because that that's going to make a that's that that's the only place you can anymore. That's right, yeah. but also you know you can choose a place you can go to on vacation to some place that you hopefully think is safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and allow the child to have some more, or your children so to have not more. Not Juarez. Uh, no, I think we might want to skip that town. <laughs> <laughs> but you can go to some place, you know, in some rural area or some right. community where you don't think it's where you hopefully it is not dangerous, right. and, and give your child some more opportunity yeah. I, to I, do things on their own. I do that with my kids, where they we, they become feral children for about a week every summer. And they, they, and the, the confidence and the smiles on their faces is like, um, it, they might as well have been at Disney world for a week. It was, it's unbelievable. So I, I, I've I absolutely seen that. It's great. It really is great. Um, to see how happy they are. Right. Um, or just like if you take them to Disneyland, you know, if, if the ride doesn't prohibit it, maybe they could actually go on the ride by themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the independence part. Let's let's. I want to get respect next. So respect is the the R of tricks. We've got trust, and we understand how trust to our children has completely uh, eroded at this point. But um, but we need to find like I, I love your idea of finding these low stakes things when they're really little, and then increasing that responsibility as it goes over. What 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 is respect? So respect is basically with children, giving them a, when they make some crazy comments about what they would like to do. Instead of just making fun of it or dismissing it, you know, talk about it. And it's like, maybe it isn't such a crazy idea. Maybe it is something that, you know, could be realistic. Um, You never know. I mean, I just remember that I've been around for a while. So I remember when I I knew Steve Jobs, he was, um, his daughter was in my class. Mm -hmm. And I just remember talking about, you know, having a phone in your pocket 
let me tell you, I thought that was totally out there. Right, 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 right. I mean, what, a phone in your pocket? You've got to be kidding. Because what, I Where do you to, plug it in? Yeah, where <laughs> do you plug it in? And actually, you have to sit at home on your phone and wait for a phone call. Right. What do you mean, carry it around in your right, pocket? Right, 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 right. So, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of crazy things that have happened in the world with regard to technology especially mm-hmm. that people thought were just really crazy, and they worked. So... You never know. You know, a lot of this innovation comes from young people. And and that's probably because they've been taught or they haven't have not been taught. Probably mm-hmm. they they have not closed the door on what is possible. They haven't memorized. You cannot do this. Right. They've memorized. They Maybe they haven't even memorized. So some of the most creative people were the worst students. Right. Right. And because again, because they didn't know what they couldn't do. And so they didn't, if, right. Yeah. And so we need to respect the fact that, that, that I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I just, I just, uh, interviewed and in, his interview just went, went live not too long ago for, for this podcast, this guy, Gary John Bishop. And that's one of his things is that you, if the stuff that you want to change about your life is all going to be in the things you think you can't do. Um, that's and, great. and we have to basically, a lot of the people I talk to are trying to teach people how to unlearn exactly the kind of thing you're talking about the kids have a blank slate with. That's right. You don't want to have to have teach them or you don't want to show them to unlearn something. You just want right. to let them try new things and respect their ideas because sometimes those ideas can, I mean, they can turn into amazing things. Right. Just, I mean, look at those, some of those YouTube videos by little kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sort of blows you away. Yeah. Like, God a small child yeah yeah you're absolutely right and you know if you just think about it little kids are more talented than you think they can learn a language without studying between the age zero to five just have someone else that speaks to them in that other language and they will learn it right you're right and And so as opposed to how hard it is to learn when you're in your thirties and forties and fifties, it's, it's so unbelievably difficult. Right. But even in high school, you know, 13 year olds, we're teaching a language starting at 13 Mm -hmm. and that's just about the age when it's difficult. It starts getting hard to learn a language. Right, right, right. Of course. Teaching it early on. Uh So little kids are very talented. They can learn to skateboard. They can learn to ski. They can learn to swim. All, all the really super, athletes in the world learned those skills as children right when they didn't know when they didn't have the fear of falling when they didn't have all of the issues associated with some of that stuff you're absolutely right yeah Yeah. Yeah. so we need to respect our children and their innate abilities so we we trust we trust them to do tasks that we would probably that we would think were out of their skill set we respect the fact that they may have skills that we don't see or that we don't understand or that are beyond what we think are the limits the next is independence. So independence is independence for everybody. So it's independence, some independence in the marriage, independence for your kids. Independence means being able to come up with some of your own ideas mm. and implement them. So, for example, one thing, independence to maybe plan what we're going to be doing on the weekend mm-hmm. for the family. Give the kids an option. Why don't you pick some place? that we should all be going, we, the whole family. So you, it's, this is independence and collaboration together. Right. 
I mean, why are you the adult always in charge of where we're going? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 Well, well, we, we, I think we do it because we think that we know what's going on, what's best, but that they, um, but, but you, you don't foster independence when you drag them to everything that they may or may not like that they may or may not be interested in and may not, may not want to do. And then that becomes their MO for how they view life. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. So yes, they, they, maybe they want to stay home and play with their friends. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't give them enough opportunity to do that. Right. We're always programming them. Okay, Monday's ballet, Tuesday's painting, Wednesday's music, Thursday, you know, every day is something. You know, how would you like it if your life, your life was planned out like that for you all the time? Right. Well, that's a, that's a big thing with with happiness at work, and we've talked about that a lot where we have right. where we have this idea that um that 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 having all of your time at work scheduled and all of your tasks oriented to something that you don't understand that you're not a part of that makes you uh, so much more unhappy at work in in, um, uh, in in the long run and gives you so much less autonomy over your career and people become less motivated or far less productive. So you, why wouldn't we try to do that for our kids now? Give them that kind That's of independence. Right. Give them yeah. that kind of independence. Yeah. You know, oh, so... I mean, that's why the book is called Simple Lessons for Radical Re Results, mm -hmm. because a lot of the things I suggest are really simple, mm -hmm. and it makes a big difference. You don't have to, you know, it's not like you have to change the whole system. Right. You're just changing a part of the system, a little bit of what you're doing, so your child feels trusted and respected, has independence. You know, you're collaborating. It's a collaborative model here. Mm -hmm. You want them to collaborate with you when they're teenagers, right? You yeah. don't want them just to run all over amok. So set up those patterns early in life because what you set up early in life is what they are going to continue doing. Mm -hmm. So these parents that say, oh, you know, I'm, I'll, I'm just doing this until they're five and then after that I'm going to stop. They're fooling themselves. Right, because how, how's that five-year-old going to be able to experience the world? Right. But they're they're not going to yeah. stop. They're going to keep doing oh. what you set up as a pattern early on in life. Yeah, and I feel I feel like I just need to change everything I do about my parenting right away. And I, 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 not to uh, I'm sure you have a strong opinion of this, but that the college admission scandal. I I, I feel like that that goes so uh, against everything that you're talking about here, right? Getting kids into colleges that they don't belong in. Uh, as a parent, because you want it, you want to have the bumper sticker that looks good on the back of your car, and what that does for the kids. It's not, it's not setting them up to be the kind of kids that go to those institutions. It's quite the opposite, right? That's right. So it really, it's, it shows that you have a lack of respect and lack of trust mm -hmm. in your child, because what you've done is, you know, you've hired somebody, or you're paying them a large sum of money to do something that is somewhat that is illegal in many cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, these people were arrested. For right. This. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, studies show that children who, um, it's not the school that you go to that makes a big difference. It's how you do at the school that right. you go to. Right. So, um, you know, the top student at a small school can be a much more, um, a much happier more successful person than the bottom student who went to an Ivy League. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we, so, uh, go ahead. So I was just going to say, I think 
parents should should relax a little bit. You know, <laughs> Good really, luck with that. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to do is help parents trust their instincts better right, right. and trust that they're good parents and give their children an opportunity yeah. to control their lives. Yeah. And, you know, if my daughter wouldn't have gone to a smaller school or gone to um, and majored, actually, like I said, they all majored in things that had no outcome as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to do with French and English history and let? Right. Well, I okay, mean, that's what Susan's Translate major. Alexander Dumas. Right. Okay, what do you, Janet majored in international relations with a master's degree in African-American history. What are you going to do with that? You could work at the Council of Race for the United Nations and, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. So what I'm saying is that they uh, pursued their interests. Right. And then afterward, they figured out what, well, or during that time, they figured out what they liked, what they didn't like. And then I gave them the permission. Well, I did. I just didn't interfere. Is basically mm-hmm. they did what they wanted to do, and I supported whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Even though sometimes it was not exactly easy for me. And I think I think you know one of your you, like you said you had Steve Jobs's uh, daughter go through. And one is one of the lessons that Steve Jobs always made in his famous um, and and quite brilliant uh, uh, Stanford commencement speech that he gave was that all of the meandering that he did as a young man informed him when he started to focus on making the the Mac, the Macintosh computer, uh, make it great. The way that he had learned fonts by studying calligraphy at Reed, uh, the way the things that he had sat in on and on design and went into making Apple this sort of design leading corporation. And so I think, you know, your kids, your kids approaching and you giving them the independence to approach these areas of study that were less, uh, let's see, less grounded in some sort of career path may or may not have really informed or added color to their ability to earn a living and their ability to see the world as they, as they went out on their own. Yeah, that's right. You know, kids need an opportunity to explore, mm-hmm. an opportunity to play. Play for kids is like our work. Right. That's what they're doing. They're exploring, they're experimenting, they're having fun. Mm-hmm. And so we need to allow that to happen. And not be so worried that, you know, that they don't, that they haven't learned to read at the right time or that they're, you know, they don't, can't count or don't know their colors exactly. Right. right. Um, trust me, they will all learn that. And <laughs> what the most important thing, a New York Times article said, there are two things that predict how well a kindergartner will do in life. And those two things are social emotional skills mm. Mm. it's you can look it up in the new york times i i i, I will gladly uh our, our next one and actually i have to say this as, as we move into collaboration which is the sea of trick is i've noticed that as we go through these i'm really trying hard to keep you in the in each of the categories but i feel like each of the categories of trick really do bleed into each other because you keep when we talk about trust you talk about respect when we're talking about respect you talk about independence since we've been talking about independence you can't help but talk about collaboration so i i do kind of love the way that that all integrates and you just talked about social emotional and kindness is the k of trick so it's it's really kind of fascinating how how well they go together and what a nice little device this is for people to remember how we should be approaching our parenting it all works together. It's yeah. all, cool. and it works together in, in in the workplace. It works together in 
all areas of your life. It right. works for everything. And one of the things people need to remember is you, the parent, you are your child's first teacher. Mm-hmm. What you are teaching is is very important and is going to stick with them. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people that those first years are critical. You just want to you want to embed trick as much as you can. And if you haven't done it and your child is, you know, already a, you're having problems usually as a teenager, what you can do is tell them, you know, I just read this book, I just came up with this idea that, you know, maybe we can get along better and then let them possibly read the book and then right. communicate collaboration and communication that's going to make the difference right. the reason teenagers don't talk to their parents is because they're afraid that the parent is going to control them right right and collaboration and that's a, that's a big part of independence is that is when you collaborate right. with the kids it makes them feel independent it makes them feel like they have a say in things that are going on and the the last one is is kindness and can you talk a little bit about kindness kindness leads to more kindness Somebody is kind to you during the day, you feel so much better, and then you tend to be kinder yourself. Mm -hmm. So kindness in the classroom is so important for students. I mean, they all make mistakes. That's what they're in school for. School is a place to learn and make mistakes, and there there should not be such penalties for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you make a mistake these days, what happens is you are, you know, penalized by in grade, by your grade goes down or there's all kinds of negative consequences. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for people to realize, um, I use this program called mastery learning instead. This is something it's now a program mastery teaching, but I, I didn't actually call it that before, but that's what I've been doing mm. my whole teaching career. So when you write a paper, I don't care whether you're in an English class or a social studies class mm-hmm. or math, or whatever, if you don't get it right, you just do it again until you get it right. And right. Some, some people have to write things two times and some people have to write it 10 times. But I tell you, once you get it right, then you get it right from then on. Right. Because right. you learn how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's. And so the penalty, the kindness there, kindness is like, yes, you can get an A. You can work hard enough. And yes, you can get an A. Mm-hmm. And if you make a mistake. I'm going to treat you with kindness. I'd be the worst penalty that you can have is you have to stay with me after school. Oof, and that sounds terrible. <laughs> so a lot of kids wanted to do that anyway, yeah. so it was, turned out not to be such a penalty. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and I can understand why. So I feel like the uh, every element of the trick method, you know, the trust, the respect, the independence, the collaboration, the kindness, requires, though, a level of intentionality and time that may be hard for a lot of parents these days who are afraid and pulled in all these different directions. So how do you, how, I mean, for me, I find that most of what you talk about, I value as well, right? All of these elements. But when we are late for school, when we are having to, we've just been, we're we're having to drop stuff from school off at the house and grab stuff to go to gymnastics or baseball or soccer practice. When that starts to happen, all of that other stuff arose because of the time com- the time crunch that, that we have in our lives. How do you practice this when the stakes are uh, are being tardy for school and when the stakes are, are not making it to all of these different activities? Well, I think you put your finger on it when you said making it to all these activities. Maybe you should cut out some of those activities. Mm-hmm. 
you're over programming the kid. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly running and late and there's all kinds of pressure. So right. who put that program together? You did. So maybe you can cut it back a little bit. Maybe <laughs> they don't have to do that much. Yeah. I guess, I but then you feel behind. Then as like then and as parents no, we feel like we're not empowering our kids enough. No, you empower them. So that's what I'm trying to say. You empower them when you let them have some control, not mm-hmm. when you overschedule them. Right. When they're overscheduled, they don't feel empowered at all. Just just imagine yourself, you're going to visit a new city in Korea and you're on a bus the whole time and they're driving you everywhere. Right. And then you're dropped off and now you get to do what you want. That's now the best what? time of the trip. That's the best time of the trip. Yeah. That's the best time. And not only that, you can't figure out anything because all you've done is being driven around. Right. Right. No, give them some control. Give them an opportunity. Cut back on all these lessons. Cut back on all this pressure. Mm-hmm. There are parents, their parents, listen, preschool parents that are having their kids tutored so they can get into the right preschool well sometimes you know the kid needs to learn yellow triangles and green triangles faster than the kid next to them (laughs) the tutor's important if they don't it's no they don't need to worry that much right you can you know stop comparing yourself by the way your child is not your pet right it's not a pet show Mm -hmm. your child is a human being and you're not going to put on your bumper sticker you know my kid went to this preschool I think or you don't watch not... enough reality television if you think our children are not our pets. <laughs> I think that's probably true. I don't watch enough television. <laughs> I don't watch television at all. Sorry. There it is. There it is. <laughs> well, uh, I, 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 uh, your time is valuable, and I, and I want to let you go. And we've gone through the entire trick method. But the book, just to remind everybody, is How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results by Esther. Wo- I'm going I'm to do this again. I'm going to say Waj by Waj, Esther Wojcicki. Uh, you can find it, link to that in the show notes. Uh, if people want to follow up with you, Waj, how, how can they do that? Where, where's the best place to follow up with you? So they can go to my website, which is raisesuccessfulpeople.com. Mm-hmm. And then they can sign up there for a little newsletter that I'm going to send out once a month. Great. They well, might be able to, I, I might, if I can figure out how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> have a place where they can pose questions and then I can answer them. You know, so, for uh, some of the teachers in the heart of Silicon Valley, you sound like maybe a bit of a Luddite when it comes to some of this stuff. Well, because my students do a lot of this for me. <laughs> I just like, I empower them because I don't know how to do this. I cannot do it myself. That's the, that's the trick to trick is like, eh, I never learned how to cook. So I let my kids cook for me. I never learned how to do stuff. I let the students do it for me. That's, that's where the trick comes in. That's where the trick comes in. Yes, I let them do it for me. That's great. Uh, I'm going to ask you, again, links links to the website and for the book in the show notes. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask to literally everybody that comes on the show, unless I forget, in which case I don't ask them. What is one thing people can start doing today that will help them improve their lives? One, Just one thing. Is the most important kind, thing, yeah. To be kind. That means smiling, really, smiling at people, saying hello, how are you, being kind to your spouse, to your coworker, to your child. Hug them. That mm. will make a big difference. 
in everyone's life. I think that's important for, for, like you said before, every single relationship we enter into. So I think that's great. Well, Waj, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, and, and we really hope you have a great day. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Gib, that was awesome. And you know what I always say about uh, about this podcast that uh, Gib has taken the reins on is that I, if you're thinking about, you know, oh, I should really go back to college and get some extra credits. And a lot of baby boomers are actually thinking about doing this. Don't 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 bother with that. Just just spend a week, two weeks listening to every one of these interviews, including including Esther. The I F Y L P H D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who hates Esther? Is every other parent in the universe? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, yeah, you, just, like, you, you can't. You, oh, my, my son's a doctor. Great, I have a doctor and a CEO and a CEO. Yeah, <laughs> I, what yeah. are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you like Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Also, share it with a friend. All of that really helps us. It's the number one thing you can do to support our show. If you'd like to follow up with us, John is facebook.com slash John Tesh. We're there all the time doing live videos, uh, posting stuff. We try to respond to every comment. He's also on Twitter, at John Tesh, on Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard, facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me there. I try to respond to every DM or comment, but thank you guys so much for listening.